Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. You are listening to episode number 45 of the Lean Blog Podcast for June 2nd, 2008. Our guest today, once again, is Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth of the Visual Lean Institute. She was a guest back on episode number 26 of the podcast, and she's back uh, today and for part two of this discussion that will be released in the coming weeks. Today we're talking about visual displays. And if you want more information on this or other podcasts, you can visit www.leanpodcast.org. Thanks for listening. Well, Gwen, thanks for coming back again to join us on the Lean Blog Podcast. It's great talking to you again. It's really a pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Uh, well, I'm excited to talk in a little bit more detail about um, a topic we just touched on briefly last time um, when you'd give us, uh, given us a good overview of um, visuality and uh, visual methods. Um, we're going to talk today specifically about visual displays. So I was wondering if you could describe what you mean by that and how visual displays fit into the other types of uh, visual methods. Yes. Uh, so I'll just begin uh, talking about displays, and then maybe we can ripple out into what's its context, both in uh, a work environment and also within the visual framework or uh, progression. A visual display is an interactive framework that exists in 3D that holds information. It's like a board. And in fact, one aspect of visual displays is called production control boards. Mm-hmm. And that gives you the information, specifically production control boards, give you the information, all the variables, hopefully all the, all the important variables, to, um, for you to be able to see at a glance what's going on. Depending on your point of view, it's like if you were at Grand Central Station in New York and you wanted to, in the old days, let's say, mm-hmm. and you wanted to see when your train was coming, you would look at this display board and you would pull out exactly the information you needed. Maybe you were going to Asbury Park, New Jersey. That's all. That's what you would be looking for. You'd find that vital bit of information, and then you could act. You could take what I like to say is a value-add, make a value-add decision, take a value-add action based on that data. Somebody else would be looking to go to Schenectady, New York. I don't know why I chose that town. <laughs> and they, that's all they would be looking for. They would see it, and then they would act. So displays are not uh, a mechanical device that's embedded in the process of work, which is what we usually think about with um, visual displays that are very powerful, but rather a flat surface that still allows you to interact. And I think I'll just leave it there and we'll add to it okay. as we chat. Sure. So um, production control boards, those are things that might show the status of an operation. I mean, people listening may be familiar with and-on boards or may use those? Um, is, is that sort of in the same category? You know, it may be in other people's uh, dictionary, but I actually, it is not in mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I make a big departure from what is normally considered a visual display. You know, you, when you're a writer, you get a chance to make your own dictionary. Mm-hmm. And what I have found is that if people don't define visual displays carefully, for what is the outcome it's supposed to support, that uh, they will often settle for 
the display of information instead of a potent partner uh, to their production process. And I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a very popular notion around, I, I come upon it all the time at public seminars and on-site, and people are talking about dashboards, mm -hmm. which is usually a kind of laminated sheet that has certain a certain grid on it to tell you what is the yield of some welded feet, how many feet, what was the raw material, what was the yield, how many defects, and probably time, and it's probably divided by shift, and maybe it has operator name, you know, for each workbench or mm -hmm. each machine or whatever. And people, people will, you will see these um, duplicated throughout uh, a work area or the entire shop floor. There'll be a board, if you will, a standard board that collects standard or predictable, uh, let's say, um, identical information. And that is, and people will call it a visual display or even a production control board. But in fact, as I began to work with these boards in the 80s, I found out that those boards had very little impact in terms of changing the production behavior, very little opportunity to actually do things differently. And it was because the information captured on them is static, and it is also within a very narrow parameter. Mm -hmm. So we're talking now as compared to showing. So I wanted just uh, um, see if that picture is clear to you, that it's it's a laminated sheet. It's big, usually 3 by 5 or sometimes 2 by 3 It's posted on the uh, some bulletin board um, near a, a center of work, mm -hmm. and regularly every hour or so people put new information. The supervisor or manager walks by, and he gets what's called a 10-second glance. Mm -hmm. uh, he gets a 10-second status report about what's going on. And managers are very grateful for that because they don't have to ask questions, which is already in a, the term of, of my work, motion, moving without working, asking questions, answering questions is also moving without working. You have you have a need, now you've interrupted another person right. with your need, and that is the need to know. Mm -hmm. And And they function on a certain level, these laminated charts, and they should not be removed. We are not going to replace them with a visual display um, in some cases. In some cases, it'll make more sense to have a display, but they should not go away because they're not in the terms of Gwendolyn an authentic display. That's nonsense. They're there, but they are not in my definition of visual display. Mm -hmm. A visual display, and, and maybe if you would allow me, uh, Mark, if we talk about how these displays are triggered, visual displays as we define them, as Gwendolyn does, let's say, mm -hmm. It might make this distinction easier, okay? Sure, sure. So in, in the first case, um, a senior manager, a middle manager, a plant manager says, I need to know this information, and the supervisor needs to know it too. Right. And I want everybody to put one up, and let's standardize the form. So you look in the left, you see one thing. You look in the lower right, you see another thing. And I need that. I need a report that isn't a piece of paper on my desk. Yes, sir, boss. We'll do that right away. That goes up. A visual display has a different genesis. A visual display comes from going to the supervisor, going to even the plant manager or the CEO, although it's rare that the CEO needs that kind of real-time information, and saying to them, I want you to construct a, uh, a display that will give you the information you need to know in order to do your job. 
That's the only requirement. It needs to be something that you legitimately and even urgently need to know. I want you to start there. And we start there with a visual display with the need to know. This is the same need to know as the operator uses when he says, she says, what do I need to know in order to do my work here in this machining cell or here in this hospital or here in this office? And the, usually the first thing they need to know in our previous discussion, we talked about this, visual, visual wear. That gives the operator a sense of control. What we want to do with the supervisor is to give him or her a sense of control, mm-hmm. a sense of safety, a sense of sanity. And especially when a uh, company is going through the tra- transition from traditional manufacturing to lean or traditional manufacturing to the new manufacturing, the folks who are caught in the middle, like in the middle of a vice, the folks who are caught in the middle are the supervisors. They're the translation point, and they're the ones who have to figure out, how do I reduce my buffer? I mean, there's calculations and things. But how do I do more with less, faster, better quality? Right. How do I take my safety away? And they go nuts. They feel a tremendous pressure. And from my years of, of, of watching these supervisors, these great heroes, unsung heroes of the shop floor, and I'm talking, when I say shop floor, I mean all operations. Right. As I said, hospital officer. I just want to be clear. Mm-hmm. But, but the, these people are the glue to hold the whole scene together while it's going through an enormous transformation. Right. A transformation from a caterpillar to a butterfly. That's essentially what we're doing when we go from tradition to lean. Right. And I, and I say to myself, what are the tools that I can give these good souls to help them make that transition with greater grace and with dignity and with success, a sense of victory? Right. And what I have found is that, and this is a declarative statement, that visual displays are the single most powerful device that you can give supervisors making that transition of all of the array of devices because they can then, what they do is they construct a display around their need to know. I'll give you an example of this. It's in the book uh, uh, when I talk about how simple displays can be. Mm-hmm. This guy named Toad, Toad, I'm sorry, Toad, Tone Der Uden. He worked, he worked for Royal Nordenbaum Trailers in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. I worked with them for a number of years. And we did displays about three or four months after we, start, we started our 5S plus 1 visual order. Operators are getting control, and and uh, I spoke to the owner, uh, Hank Nottebaum, this fabulous uh, third, I think, second or third generation owner, and I said, I'd like to do displays, but under one condition, that you give a mandate at the beginning of the session that everyone in the room will create their own display. Mm-hmm. And therein, Mark, right there yes. is the clue to the different orientation about the how they come about, instead of Hank saying, I want a display that looks like <laughs> right. this, he set up the dynamic for everyone, because he trusted our methodology, for everyone to simply ask and answer the question, what do I need to know? And to do it iteratively until they fe- felt a sense of safety and control. The mm-hmm. control comes first, and then you have a sense of safety. And we got these 25 people, 25 different displays. I will admit that purchasing and um, another department, <laughs> right. they work together. No, no, they, they did a great them to job. Be the same. I was just laughing because I was thinking purchasing usually likes to standardize, so they could save. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. So they can save their lives. 
um, so they got the, there was a display, a wonderful display where the three of them worked on it together because they were working with a kind of stream of providers, you know, the stream of uh, suppliers and getting it out to different areas. So they needed something that was centralized in the purchasing department. But at any rate, there was such a spectrum there. And I was shocked beyond belief when I looked at Tone's display because it was, it was the typical piece of paper with a grid on it and it on, uh, on one side it had the work orders on, you know, vertically it had all the work orders and, um, across the top were the components, you know, the kind of bill of material, right. raw material, this steel, they, they make trailers, these big specialty steerable trailers, huge. They move the bridges of Europe across the continent, <laughs> turning corners and all this stuff. And, um, and Tone had this flat piece of paper. I said, Tone, I don't speak Dutch, but that what's going on there? And he said, all I want to know is, has the material arrived, yeah, or has it not arrived, nay? <laughs> yeah. And he, he retired like a year later, and that display never changed. The only thing he did was to put it on a board and then... Threw it on, you know, a standing, uh, standing rack. Yeah. And and he was that's that gave him the sense of control that he that made his day. That gave him the sense of control that he never before really had. He almost had it, but he always had this open, lingering question: Has it arrived or hasn't it? He'd have to go up and down this very long line. <laughs> yeah. And as compared to his his um, colleague in material handling, Frank Mulder, and I don't know if you have my book in front of me, but that's on. That's on uh, page 137. And Mulder had these four columns in his displays, movable parts. Mm -hmm. The first was the list of all of his employees, all of the folks who worked in material handling and in stores, you know, uh, putting and picking, and all of the tasks color-coded. And then he had three weeks that were separated so that he would fill up three weeks out, forecast who's doing what for the next three weeks, who's in training, who's working together, who's on vacation. Right. And when the the current week was done, he would then strip it of all of its magnetics, mm-hmm. pull it out on a little rudder, and then move the other two forward, and then that would become his fourth week. And and I said, Frank, this is gorgeous. What is it doing for you? And he said, you know, I used to wait until 11 o'clock to do my work because people were always – Broke my thumb. Need to go home to take care of my kid. Um, ma- making mistakes. Doesn't know the job. I was continually every day managing the flow of people, and now I do it three weeks out, and I might have to make a tweak in the morning, and and uh, and then I'm done. You know, I'm done by seven fifteen, and I can get on with my work. And that was to me to understand. I already loved displays. I was already teaching it. But to see that this man, whatever Hank Nautabom needed, and mm-hmm. Hank Nautabom needed cost savings, he needed profit, he needed to go to his right. board of directors with a happy story. What Frank needed to know, Frank Mulder, was simply who's here, who's not, <laughs> what are they doing? Right. And that gave yeah. him, and that's what I want for supervisors, because I'm going to shift now into the bigger picture. We've gone out from one ripple from definition to mm-hmm. um, functionality and now to why are displays important in the new organization, sure, sure. in the excellent enterprise. Well, well, Should I? Yeah, yeah that, go ahead, please. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, I'd like to move into that. I, I was just going to comment first. The, the one thing that strikes me about 
the, the story and the approach you told is asking the supervisors to define it themselves. That reminds me or seems uh, in, in, in keeping with the, the general lean principle of standardized work of not dictating it, but asking people to define their own standardized work, whether it's you know, assembly people or, or machine operators, it seemed very similar that here you're asking the, 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 the supervisor to, to be involved and, and participate that instead of just receiving orders, right? Yeah, uh, that's Likert's work, isn't it? Likert's work does standardized work for supervisors. Uh, yeah, it, they talk about it in some of the Toy Away um, yeah. books yeah, I, and David Mann's book. Uh huh. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for that, and we also have integrated that into our work with supervisors. But with this caution, and I, I caution this because there are, for the most part, Americans listening, mm -hmm. Western people listening, but I mean really citizens of the United States, because we have a s s kind of different way that we digest the idea of standardized anything. Right. And and and. and just steer me back if I go too far afield from your from your purpose, Mark. But mm -hmm. I find that um, that us Amer us U.S. USers often think of standardized pretty much in the same way as we think of cookie cutter. Look yeah. The same, make it sound the same, make it therefore predictable and therefore good. And of course, you know, my approach is I driven. My outcome is unity, and in the middle there is a lot of diversity. Sure. It isn't just the diversity of gender and race and ethnic and preferences and all of that, but it's the diversity of internal vision and the internal, the internal spirit about what I need to feel safe, what I need to be uh, a hero, what I need to feel uh, creative and connected right. and engaged in my work. So uh, the, uh, I'll just make a comment about standardized work is is actually we don't um, we don't use that in conjunction with visual displays okay. and although I haven't said it well, before mm -hmm. I suppose it's intentional but I, I'd just like to in case this doesn't make intuitive sense I'd just like to explain why because standardized work is still following a kind of template I mean the way that we do it for example, we say, what are the five questions, and this may come from Likert, I, with all due respect, I haven't read his book, but I've seen his work, mm -hmm. uh, and that's really horrible. I hope he reads my book someday. <laughs> um, but I have tremendous respect because, you know, when you, when you're, when you write, when you're, you write, you have tunnel vision, you're interested in your own mind and your own ideas. Mm -hmm. It's a real failing. So I'm embarrassed about that. I'll, I'll, I'll read his book over Easter. Yeah. Um, it's just sitting right over there. But, um, but, um, hang on, too many remarks, too many clauses here. You're so you're uh, talking about... So it's a, yeah, yeah, I got it. The, thank you. Mm -hmm. The five questions, you know, so, but, but with a visual display, it's literally, where is your pain? I mean, for an example, this work, uh, visiting a hospital in Australia, hoping to do some real deep work, work with them, perhaps in this next trip, and, uh... And they have a display that identifies, because this is where people feel the pain, when they're ready to release a patient, mm -hmm. are they releasing them into a safe environment? It's a kind of an exit strategy. And of all the ways that they could track their, client, their patients while they're in the hospital, they said the most important thing to us is that when they leave us, and this was a team display, 
that went through a number of iterations with lots of inputs. What are we most uncomfortable about? We know that we've done a good job, but what kind of an environment can we be responsible and really identify that they're going into a strong environment that's going to support the kind of health that we are trying to create in them? And they go into what's the gender of the spouse, you know, and what's their capability, what's their skill level, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of d- display. It doesn't have anything to do with their productivity or right, their, right. you know, administration of meds or whatever, did I, didn't I? And, and so I don't know whether or not I can communicate this more clearly than I have. I feel that I, I, I have so, and you get it. But the display is coming from the internal mm-hmm. uh, need uh, to know, and that is the driver. That is the driver through all mm-hmm. of visuality, at least as I do it and I, as I know it. Right. Okay, I'll stop. No, I'm getting I, well, the, I, the soapbox I, is getting a little tall. No, it's all right. But I, I think what I'm hearing you saying is that I, I would agree with the statement that Americans or Western businesses tend to think of standardized um, as being synonymous with identical, right? That's right. That yeah, I think yeah. you used the phrase cookie cutter. Um, in, in, and, and I'm not here to be uh, defenders of, of, of Liker and company, but in, in their book, Toyota Talent, um, which, which is a follow-up to the Toyota Way, they, um, they actually go into a fair amount of detail, um, which I think is an excellent point that most companies who, who are copying Toyota miss, is that in, in the Toyota system, standard, it's standardized, not standard. Right, it's not completely yes. oh, identical, um, and and they make that distinction. But I think most people miss that. In in our zeal to standardize, we say, "Thou shalt all everybody yes. do everything exactly That's the same," right. which is different That's than right. figuring out what you need to be effective. So I, I think there's more alignment, commonality. I, yes, I, I think I think there's more alignment than bet- between the Toyota system and, and your work than um, mm-hmm. than. than mm-hmm. Yes, you don't. You don't. Honestly, you don't need to work uh, walk carefully on this, Mark. Let Mm -hmm. me read the book, and I agree Mm -hmm. with what you're what you're saying there. Um, I I I do have an allergy to standardize because it does mean (laughs) what you're saying. You know that let's be identical and therefore identically good. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.